Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is episode one of The Dragon Reborn, not The Dragon Rising. I almost did it. Today we are going to be talking about the prologue through chapter seven. And I am Tyler. I have read this whole series a long time ago in a middling final movie in the saga far, far away. And joining me is one person. Yeah, that's me, Jesse. And I've read up into the late middle of the fifth book at this point, and I'm coming back around to read this one. Nice. Um, Yeah, sadly, we weren't able to record or release an episode last week. Um, Bjorn found this dagger and is now... uh, They're going to be healed in a tower far away. Um, we sent them with some friends, but they're catatonic. Uh, so sadly they couldn't join us. And then we all remained sick. Yes. And, but yeah. two weeks without anything felt like a little much. And I don't think Bion is going to miss missing out on this section of chapters. I think no. this is a kindness. Yeah. This is a mercy killing actually. <laughs> To not have to talk about... Listen, the prologue is kind of interesting. It's just that there's also seven chapters after that. Yeah. I think this is pretty much an almost unacceptably boring first hundred pages. Well, then let's knock it out. Let's do it. Okay, so we start with the prologue, Fortress of the Light. Pedron Nial? Nial? Nile. I was thinking Pedron Nial. Pedron Nial. No, that's not right. No, I. <laughs> Pedron Nile is sure. how I'm going to say it. The Nile is more than just the Lord Captain Commander of the White Cloaks. He's also very old. <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on that from the text. He's like a billion years old. He's thinking very deeply about this. Uh, we immediately get the sense that he is someone that doesn't care about, like, I gotta have all this money, I gotta have, you know, the coolest stuff. All he wants is power of the White Cloaks. He keeps it Spartan. Yes. I like that about him. And he likes that about himself. Yeah. He's like, God, I'm so cool. BR is also in the room. He is just... Spouting... Many wrong things. Yeah. Niall is like, so BR, what did you have for breakfast on the way here? And BR's like, I don't know, parents of White Cloak. They're all... <laughs> Wait, parents no. Are, parents of White Cloak. Sorry, that's a spoiler for later. It's not. I'm dropping in fake spoilers. I'm not going to do a second or a third try at that joke. Please just cut it all out. Okay, sure. Thank you. Yeah, so BR just keeps on doing that thing where it's like, incredible. Every word in that sentence was wrong. Yeah, exactly. And even Niall is like, there's no way this guy's on the up and up. Jeffrem Bornhold and a thousand of the children dead, and Aes Sedai did it. Yeah, exactly. The Aes Sedai have now showed those oaths for the lies they were. Oh no, never mind, that isn't BR. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So Niall has three versions of that image from the epilogue of the last book, where it's um, 
pictures of Rand fighting Baal-Zaman in the sky. So, everyone is in civil war in the area. Gosh, I don't remember all of the... What's it called? Nations. In yeah, that. there's a lot of them. Yeah, what's important is that everybody hates everybody else. Um, they're all fighting, and then also all of the Dragon Sworn are fighting each other. Who are people who are like, hey, Rand's pretty cool. We should go and follow Rand. It is Eridoman and Terabon. Damn, Domani. Exactly. Wait, Domani or Domani? Domani? I've been reading Fires of Heaven, where they talk a lot about Domani stereotypes, and they sound chill. <laughs> I'm just making sure, because, you know, there's also the Shanchan Domani. I hate it. I hate that that's the pronunciation. So there is a bit in here that I wanted to just point out because I think it's kind of absurd that Niall like recaps what the breaking of the world is. Mm -hmm. And Jordan continues to do that through this section and maybe a little bit more, but I think it's mostly in these first eight chapters where... Luckily, this is the last book in the series where he does this, but he treats it as though, like, this might be your first one. You might need an introduction to what's going on. And, like, starting with a third book, huh? It just strikes me as, I don't know, a strange choice. I mean, uh, I think every Harry Potter book did that. Are you trying to note that as a good point? Or? No, I'm just saying, like... <laughs> okay. Sometimes... It seems to be an industry standard, I guess. Well, after this one, I remember specifically thinking when starting the Shadow Rising, oh, thank God he stopped. Mm -hmm. So, Niall and BR have a short, very incorrect recap of what <laughs> happened at Falm. Very incorrect. Yeah. It's kind of funny how wrong it is. There's a small note in here about groups of Aiel moving west across the spine, which I guess is irrelevant to you and I talking. Is more relevant if Bion was here, uh -huh. and they could be like, oh, Aiel, interesting. <laughs> I'm putting words in their mouth. They would never call anything interesting. <sighs> Not anything in these books. No, so Nial. Why did I say that? Niall... Uh, dismisses BR and BR on the way out of the room is like oh by the way parents a dark friend bye yeah and Niall is like this young blacksmith you've only seen twice this parent from the two rivers yes my lord captain commander I do not know how but I know he is to blame I know it God, uh, he sucks and then when asked why because he also claims that the Sean Sean were dark friends mm -hmm. and then Niall is like why would this dark friend go and help defeat these other dark friends and drive them off the continent? And BR just says, the shadows plots are murky and often seem mad to those who walk in the light. Yeah. Gah. <laughs> Pretty much all of my notes for this chapter are just me saying gah with increasing caps and length. Like, on the one hand, that is definitely something that I have called out about liking in this series is... Yeah how wrong people are but on the other it's frustrating yeah it's just sort of like the joke with white cloaks is that they'll never be right no 
find me a white cloak that isn't wrong. You can't do it. White cloaks are outside the concept of the truth. Like, let me in. Let me in. <laughs> so then BR leaves and some rando named Jaichim Karadin comes in. Wow, you did that name way better than I was going to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he is the commander of the questioners. And he comes in to talk with Niall. It's a long talk about a whole bunch of stuff that isn't relevant to our podcast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Niall sa- tells him that a few days under the question, and you would confess to anything. Name yourself a dark friend, even. Yep. Thinking emoji. <laughs> yeah. The commoners are crazy because they even say that they saw Hawkwing at Falm. Um, they continue to be wrong yes. about, about interpreting these accounts. To be fair, like, if there was an event in real life and somebody was like, George Washington was present, <laughs> you'd be like, I don't know about that one, Chief. Yeah, but I also don't live in a world with uh, Tarvalon okay. witches. Mm, that's true. I do like the comment that they have in here about how the Shanchan have monsters in their army and it must have been Trollocs. And it makes sense because nobody in the area would have ever seen them before, so they just misinterpreted it. Mm-hmm. Like, that one at least is Understandable. Justified. Yeah. But it sort of feeds into them thinking that the Shanchan are just dark friends. Yeah. Sort of a confirmation bias going on here with them. Big surprise with the white cloaks, I know. Yeah. And Niall talks about how he has a different interpretation of the prophecy of Tarman Gaiden. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah, he's very, like, he is an interesting character. Again, I find this first chapter interesting, if only because Niall is in it, and Niall is, like, an actual character. Yeah. So he thinks that Tarman Gaiden is going to be a fight with the Dragon Reborn. Mm-hmm. And that he's going to be the hero. Well, Niall's going to be the hero. Yeah. It's interesting how wrong they are, but Niall is about to show some depth. So before we get to that, they do talk about killing uh, Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. And Niall says their witchery doesn't protect them from arrows or a knife in the dark. They die as quickly as anyone else. Which, I like that. It's very, um, that one line in the Vlad Teltosh novels that I don't think you've read. Yeah. Also, Blinks in episode eight of The Witcher. Oh, are you... I haven't started watching it. It's decent. Time to time lock this episode. The Witcher's been out for, what, like three days? No, almost a week. Whoops. I've been but, working for most of that. But yeah, in that show, it's very, un, like, mages can do some crazy stuff, but then in situations where they could possibly die, they just don't. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, I think the line in the Stephen Brust book is like, no matter how powerful the wizard, a knife between the shoulder blades is going to cramp their style. <laughs> True enough. Yeah, let's... Let's get back to the book series we are currently reading. Uh, don't want to reveal our plans for the future of the podcast yet. 
where we become a variety show. Yeah, read every fantasy novel ever written. So Niall now reveals the plan, which, like you said, is under the assumption that Rand is the big bad in this. The plan is quietly lend support to Rand until he is a big enough threat to the world that everybody sees it, and then turn around, take away all of the support, and kill him. And, and then be take the hero. The yeah. yeah. Um, he uses a... I don't even know... Like, it's such a thin metaphor, I don't know that you could even call it a metaphor about a lion. Also, is the lion thing a comment on Rand being from Andor? Or is that Maybe. just... Ooh. Niall is so spicy. So... I will just point it out that I believe it might actually be in this section uh, that Moraine, either Moraine says it or someone says it about her that this plan is exactly how she does it. Like, she just tells them to do something small and then keeps doing that and then nobody ever questions her. I didn't. So how does that how is that like what Niall is doing? Uh, because what Niall says is that you release the lion, you kill it, and then you, like, you give the order to kill it, you show that you can kill it, and then you keep giving orders and nobody ever stops you. Huh. I guess that does line up. I had it noted in the book. Fiona is going to see that note when they read it. Assuming that they haven't already, which... Probably not. <laughs> So, Carradin uh, gets dismissed. And then another total random comes in. No yeah. one we know at all. No, another good boy. He walks in the light. Uh, Ordeeth, I believe. Ordeeth? 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 Almost sounds like Mordeth. Maybe. <laughs> Which? Wait, why do you know that name? That's a spoiler. What? No, it isn't. Mm. Oh, no, it's not. I'm thinking of someone with a very similar name. Boy, There's a I lot sure of similar names in this series. I sure hope that when they adapt it into an Amazon TV series, they change the names, like <laughs> with Warders or something. Yeah. Again, so, yeah. time-locking the podcast. Yeah, so Ordyth is yeah. totally chill. And also, yeah, not someone that we've ever met before. He just shows up and starts cackling. <laughs> and Coming Niles, into secret passages. Yeah, and Niles like, this seems like a guy I can trust. So he's only shown up recently, but he quickly ingratiated himself to Niall. And now he's like giving one-on-one -on -one advice. He says, Rand is a dark friend, so dark as to make your soul cringe. Him to know the half. Yes. Uh, him and this Perrin Ibarra both. Wait, I have it in my notes that Fane does something, but Fane isn't here. Sorry, Ordyth <laughs> does some quote-unquote subtle manipulating. Uh, yeah, and he I says, In quiet villages cut off from the world where few outsiders ever go, what better places for all to be dark friends? It's another gah for me. Yeah, Niall says he might have to have some plans for the two rivers yeah so we cut away from there back to Karadin, who is now back in his rooms 
there's a Merdral that he didn't expect, just yeah. like hanging out. Turns out he's a dark friend. He's a friend yeah. of the dark. Who'd have thunk it? So Cardin is commanded to go and kill Rand, and he starts to protest because now he has conflicting orders, and both will kill him for not following. Mm-hmm. And the Merdral says, if this Randall Thor is not dead in a month, I will take one of your blood, a son, a daughter, a sister, an uncle. And somehow this becomes a plot point in the next book. Like, holy, Jordan keeps track of a lot of details. Yeah. Uh, can I, I have the entire thing quoted. Can I read it all? Sure. Okay. I will give you this to encourage you. If this Randall Thor is not dead within a month, I will take one of your blood. A son, a daughter, a sister, an uncle. You will not know who until the Chosen has died screaming. If he lives another month, I will take another, then another, and another. And when there is no one of your blood living except yourself, I will take you to Sheol Ghul itself. Which, like, hell yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in the next book, Jaichim Keridan comes back and every month he's like has anyone died yeah (laughs) means i got to live another month yeah it's like i don't even know how many family members i got but it's just incredible to me that there's just so many characters and like sort of a throwaway line in one chapter continues throughout the series yeah and this is even before like computers because in my mind the way well no i'm serious like the way that i would do this if i was trying to keep track of what do i always quote is it's 2500 right like 2500 named characters in the series something like that so there's the wheel of time companion book that has like multiple paragraphs to multiple pages about each character but even then in my mind the right way to do this would be like write down everything about keratin and then every time you have to write more about him, control F to the Keridan section. But like... I mean, I guess you could have uh, note cards with like a library system. Yeah, exactly. Like he had to manually control F. <laughs> Can we get a control F in chat? Pay your respects. Yeah, pay your respects to Jordan having to search through his library to see how many months Keridan got to live in the timeline. So, the Merdral throws Keridan across the room and leaves through the shadows when Keridan's servant appears. Uh, he slaps him around a little. Yeah. Keridan's like, I'm so angry. Come here. So, he gets pen and paper, but it ends with he's not even sure which orders to send, whether to keep Rand alive or to kill him. We find out which ones he sends, <laughs> but not until the next book. So, we get to chapter one, waiting. What a promising chapter title. (laughs) You know, it hurts because it's true. Uh, So Perrin's waiting on a mountain. He is astride his horse. So, I don't know if you've heard this, but he's got this half-moon axe at his side that's balanced by a spike. With a wicked blade. Yes. Um, Wicked half-moon. He was sent out here by Moraine to wait for someone, and he's not happy about it. He keeps on feeling the wolves all around. Yeah, uh, he has this petty note in here about, like, well, she sent me out here, and if I get a stuffy nose from being on the mountain, I'm not even going to let her heal it, so there. Like, We get a lot hate- of Perrin in this. 
opening. Book? Oh. Yeah. Well, also the rest of this book, but. Yeah. Yeah. Perrin is a good boy, but in this moment, he's very like, hey, Moraine, no. I wish that's, you wouldn't be like this. That's sort of his arc in this section, is him, mm-hmm. like, trying to stand up to Moraine. Yeah. So, like you said, he's feeling the wolves and he's trying to ignore them and doing a bad job of it. Pray the wolves away. Yeah. <laughs> Going to uh, Lupin conversion camp. <laughs> uh, so Uno now has the eye patch with the flaming eye on it. And boy, I sure hope you're excited for every other time that Uno shows up after this to talk about the eye patch. You'll understand that joke when we have more Uno in the series. So the rider that they're waiting for finally comes into view. It's a woman from the Tinkers. Whoa. She arrives and confirms that she's a messenger from Moraine, and they start leading her back to camp. On the way, Perrin starts popping off about his feelings <laughs> on the way of the leaf. He's yeah. just like... It sort of feels like the kind of defensive that people get when a meat eater hears about someone talking about how they're a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. It's that same sort of defensiveness. Yeah, like, it has no relevance to anything that they're talking about. He's just like, hey, by the way, the way of the leaf sucks. Yeah. Good talking to you. Uh, he also definitely loses this argument. Yeah. I mean, he loses its argument, but she also loses a fight with a Trolloc, so... Whoa! Dude, she died! <laughs> Uh, savage, but also not wrong. Yeah, like Perrin, I don't know. Neither of them are wrong is the thing. I think she is wrong in the context of like, if it was just people in the world, she might have a point. But the fact that there are things that are just evil and have no conception of not killing you means that I think she is wrong. How convenient to have such a force in your work of fiction. Thinking emoji. But yeah, Perrin loses the argument with her, which is fine. Um, He's sulking on their way back to camp. She recognizes that he is not happy with carrying his weapon, which is probably the seed of his defensiveness, is that Mm. he doesn't really want to kill anyone either. Yeah. Something, something... When you stop hating using the axe, throw it away. Wow, it's a book one callback right there. Yeah, and a later book called Forward. Get hyped. Uh, So they arrive at the camp, and Min is there to greet them. Uh, Perrin announces that they have arrived at the camp of the Dragon Reborn. He said it, boys. Pop your champagne bottles. Yeah, there's a big banner. Yeah, the banner. So that brings us to chapter two, Sidene. Sure wonder what's going to happen here. Uh, so Leia, the tinker woman, leaves to go and talk to Moraine. And Perrin has a little chat with Min. Most of this, again, is recap in case he decided to start with book three. And Perrin says, well, not says, thinks. He did not understand why she insisted on britches instead of skirts. Perhaps it was because he knew her, but he could not see how anyone could look at her and see a too handsome youth instead of a pretty young woman. Wise up, Perrin. Yeah, not everyone we'll dresses like a boy, so they'll be mistaken for a boy. 
also calling back to the weird comment last book about how no one could mistake <laughs> men for a boy, which you're gonna again, relitigate the thing that made you look weird. Listen, I feel like I hit my point at the end, which is like it's less of a weird thing in universe and more weird that it that Jordan chose to write it down. Okay. Anyway, the point. Um, so Loyal arrives in the conversation so that we can also be introduced to him in case you started with this book. I hate so much that this keeps happening. It's almost done, but I am going to mention it every time it does. It, it is pretty annoying. Uh, we do find out that he's planning to write a book about all of this, which get hyped for that to be his character for the next couple books. So Rand exits Moraine's hut and Min informs us that they've been arguing all day as usual. Oh yeah, they've been camped in this valley for like months and months, which is oh. sort of the backdrop that we didn't yeah. mention. Yeah, they don't really like make a point of it, which seems weird, but also it's winter now. So like when they went through the portal stone and got to Falm, it was they were like, Hey, does it look like fall to you guys? And they're now at the point where it's like getting to the back part of winter yeah um so i so think this, impatient yeah i think this is the last time skip in the series like i think maybe their travel from where they are now to everybody being in the southern part of ranland is like the last time that we aren't following someone closely enough that we're doing like a day-by-day -day timeline i wouldn't know you wouldn't know. Well, I know for a fact that the point that you're at in your reading, we're done with that. I just, I think that it might be, we might get the point where it's like they traveled for a week, but for the most part, this is the last time that we like skip forward in time. Something, I've seen a timeline where it's like the first three, the first two books plus this opening section is like 12 to 18 months. And then the rest of the series is like six months zoom yeah big zoomer energy so perrin decides to perrin decides to go and talk to a main character the main <laughs> character really um and heads into this sick little secluded valley that rand has where he's soliloquying yeah rand is talking to himself again as and per also, usual but also the audience yeah twice and twice shall he be marked twice to live and twice to die once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true. Once the dragon for remembrance lost, twice the dragon for the price he must pay. Good stuff. With a shudder, he tucked his hands under his arms. But no dragons yet, he chuckled roughly. Not yet. It's almost like there's a prophecy where that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so Rand and Perrin have this great argument where... Rand starts to show the first signs of his obsession with people dying for him and how he is like holding on to the weight of all of those deaths, which will continue to be a plot point for him. And he continues to feel the like, I'm afraid of the battle with Baalzaman to finish this, but also I kind of want it to just happen so I can be done. It's like he's giving a report in school. <laughs> so... Rand eventually talks about Sidene constantly pulling at him, and suddenly the ground begins to shake. 
Rand is making the ground royal like water, with trees crashing down around him, but his balance never wavers, which, by the way, is exactly how Luz Theron Telamon is described in the prologue of Eye it, of the World. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like he's breaking the world. Yeah, um, but it's like, I love it, that it's exactly the same thing. Like, the earthquake and Rand is just standing like he's perfectly fine. And he's not freaking out or anything. Like, he's just not aware of what's going on. Some might say he's going mad. Uh, so finally, Rand stops it and then tells Perrin to go on ahead. He needs some time to think. Uh, there's some ominous references to dreams, and then they separate. Uh, chapter 3, News from the Plane. Perrin returns to find an annoyed Moraine, along with the Shinarans rebuilding the damage that's been done to the camp. Annoyed Moraine is my favorite Moraine. <laughs> I just opened this capsule and got a four-star annoyed Moraine. <laughs> uh, Perrin speaks with Min, finds out that she doesn't actually want to leave. She has something she wants to do here, but Perrin can't understand all these strange words the woman is using. <laughs> oh yeah, and we and we forgot to mention that Min had a vision that the travel that the tinker woman would die. I didn't even mention it because she's dead by the end of this section. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there's a misdirect where Moraine talks about how she got injured in the earthquake and Perrin thinks that that's it. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, what a misdirect. Yeah. I pulled a sneaky on you. <laughs> uh, there's also a calling out Matt slash Rand would know what to do in this situation. Every time. Uh, Min says... You are a very nice man, Perrin Ibarra, even if you don't understand anything. Which, yeah, exactly. I see she's been reading the Wheel of Time companion entry about Perrin. Is there a wool-headedness level in the little stats box? God, there really should be. I'm sure Bion has one running. Moraine comes down to the camp, and we get some news from the plane, which, hey... News from the plane. Uh, white cloaks have moved in to start throwing their weight around, but they're generally avoiding fighting any dragon sworn that they can plausibly deny going after. In addition, there's something called the soulless walking around that nobody's willing to explain to Perrin. Yeah. Uh, the Dark One has killers. You don't notice until it's too late. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're killing people that match Rand's description in the area which hey great good time to be rand moraine says hey something's gonna go down tonight also bye and goes back to her hut perrin goes to bed and starts to have some dreams not much happens that chapter not much happens in any of these chapters hey there's like a couple good things like in this one maybe chapter four shadows sleeping God, it's going to be so good that I don't have to be circumspect because Bion isn't here. We still have listeners. Well, that's true. I won't spoil anything past this book, maybe. Wait, Fine. no. No, some of these spoilers are for after. Never mind. I'll still be... I'll still dance around it. Just say, it's fun to see Perrin just starting to figure out the dreamwalking stuff. Yeah. Because uh, that's where his coolest stuff comes in, pretty, mm -hmm. pretty much. Uh, 
yeah, Perrin dreams about being at an inn. Uh, there's a man sitting at a round table with nothing on it. So Perrin approaches the square table that the man is sitting at and is offered the silver cup of wine that's sitting on it. He turns away and the man disappears. Uh, looking in a mirror, Perrin sees himself in ornate armor, and then a beautiful woman in silver appears, offering him glory, and she asks him to drink from the gold cup of wine on the square table. Perrin rejects the offer again and is back in his clothes on a bridge. Things seem screwy. In, in space. Yeah, like, that's the part that I absolutely love, is... Uh-huh. Like, every time it's referenced, it's different in a way that is very clearly, like, intentional, not just stuff's well, weird <laughs> in Teliron Riyadh. Whatever that is, we learn the name in this book. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And then Perrin ends up in a place that sounds like The Ways. Yeah. Um, sounds like The Ways, except it's bright. Like, you can see stuff. Um, also, there's waterfalls. So the same woman is in this space, leaving, and then uh, these two men meet and argue too far away for Perrin to hear. A third man joins them, and the argument escalates to fireballs. Yeah, all three shouted at once, each at both of the others in turn. Mm -hmm. So the Forsaken are a hot mess. Yeah. Hot mess express, uh, as book five will express. Wow. Oh my god. I'm canceling this podcast. What do you for mean? That, for that multi-rhyme. <laughs> well, I used express twice. So, that's not a real rhyme. Doesn't disqualify you. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of Forsaken, and they're all a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, luckily, the fireball doesn't hurt. Uh, and when it passes, the men are gone, and a wolf is looking down at Perrin. Uh, Perrin closes his eyes, and when he opens them, he's in a massive chamber supported by redstone columns. In the center hangs a crystal sword, hilt down, that he can't touch. Uh, I've heard it's a sword that can't be touched. That's true. It's also a sword that is not a sword. Uh, As Perrin tries, thoughts begin to enter his head from the wolves. The twisted ones come. He wakes, and he's still receiving the thoughts. It's almost like it's happening in real life. So, Perrin rushes out of his hut with the axe, uh, but before he can raise the alarm, Lan does. Hey, Lan's so cool. Yeah, that's his whole utility. (laughs) Is to be a cool guy. So Trollocs are already in the camp, and the soldiers immediately engage. Uh, Luckily, Perrin is a master with the axe? I guess. And he's killing Trollocs with very little issue. Yeah. Like, I don't have a problem with it. It just seems unjustified that he's good enough to, like, not have any problems fighting Trollocs. I guess he's just wolfy. I guess so. Although, he's shaving, so he's not a wolf. That makes him not a bear. I guess. He's not, wow, wow, I didn't expect that. No, I just mean he's not shaggy yet. Please note the rest of the series. When he's got a big beard. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, so then parents, I just imagine him as that character from a Dream Daddy simulator. Oh, you know, it's not that far off. 
Although I think he's a little younger than that. I don't. Have you seen the old cover art for Knife of Dreams? Yes. Where it's he, so bad. He's is like that the one where they're old. like standing at the table and yep. he looks like blonde and has like. Yeah. He doesn't have these long dark curls. He's like. I mean, speaking of which, Perrin on the cover of the original cover of this book looks like Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, that one's extra bad. Yeah. Yeah, all of the cover art is, I don't know. Which, fun fun fact, that was what Robert Jordan wrote before The Wheel of Time, was Conan the Barbarian stories. Wow, that's good to know and also explains the cover art. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I learned something today. So, Perrin sees Leia up on the hill back at Moraine's hut. And he goes to her trying to protect her from these Trollocs that are going to kill her in a moment. He's dispatching Trollocs along the way. And when he arrives, a Murdral shows up, uh, killing Leia and making a comment about how killing Matt or Perrin will bring Rand down as well. There's actually kind of a good moment where uh, Perrin like kills a Trolloc that's about to kill Leia and says... Uh, she looked at him with a face that he couldn't meet her eyes. Don't pity me, he growled at her. And it's actually just sort of a interesting moment where... How do I explain it? You can actually feel how conflicted Perrin is, even mm-hmm. though he's killing beings of pure darkness, but whatever. Yeah, uh, like, it's really useful to have enemies that you don't have to have your characters feel a moral conflict about killing but also like leia recontextualizes that by making any level of killing a moral quandary which resonates with perrin because he's a good boy yeah because he doesn't want to be using the axe to kill he's a blacksmith but leia also dies trying to save perrin from the murderal by like throwing herself around its legs which, at least she tried. She died as she lived, not being relevant to the plot. <laughs> so the wolves enter the battle at this point, which is cool. Uh, they're like streaming out of the mountains and taking down Trollocs as they go. Uh, their thoughts start to consume Perrin and he goes full wolf mode. So he has this fight with the Murdral, and in it, he's having these moments of, like, this is how a wolf would take down an enemy, so I'm going to fight like that. He does, like, a hamstring and then beheading. It's really good. Yeah, there's no sword forms. No. Wow. You're so salty. (laughs) The sword forms aren't fun to read. Oh, hard disagree. I think it's fun how bad and weird they are. But so, I don't know if you've heard, but the Murdral wield black steel rotten Thakandar in the shadow of Shale Ghoul. That's true. And after they're dead, they keep swinging the sword because they haven't realized they're dead yet. Yeah. Huh. I wonder if I've heard that before. Hmm. Anyways, this is the third book in the series. You're caught <laughs> up on what's going on, right? So, after the Murdral is dead, Perrin goes to see Leia. She's already dead, uh, but the wolves convince him to go down to the camp and keep killing Trollocs. Hey, just forget your problems. Do murder. 
Perrin starts to like lose himself to the wolves big time and howl. Yeah. Um, once they're all dead, he's completely engrossed in the experience and he's like catatonically receiving sendings from the wolves that are chasing down another Merdral in the woods. And then, yes, he howls in front of everyone, showing that he's a wolfaboo. <laughs> like, think about it. To them, no weird wolf stuff. He just chose to howl. <laughs> like, what's up with these two rivers, guys? They're so weird. Finally, the named characters get together to debrief about what just happened. And Masima continues to be a Rand stan. Yeah. He talks about how this is another sign of the Dragon Reborn's power and says that when everyone else hears, only dark friends will fail to join us. Mm-hmm. Once even again, the, thinking emoji. Even the beasts <laughs> come to join us. Sounds like Masima can have some dangerous ideas. Yeah, I wonder if he'll get a little too hyped about Rand and become a problem for an infuriatingly large chunk of the rest of the series. <laughs> I wonder. Uh, Perrin and Min go out to see Rand in the woods, and he tells them of his struggle with Sidene during the battle, uh, how it almost destroys him every time he touches it, and he couldn't, like, he felt the Trollocs coming, but he couldn't do anything about it except give them light by burning the trees. Moraine shows up to do some healing after... So, uh, Min and Perrin leave. They go back, I believe. And Moraine shows up to give people healing. And uh, Perrin describes what it feels like to be healed in this series. You know, in case you're starting with this book. I mean, was it described in that much detail before? Yeah. that It's like the shock of cold and your like whole body tenses. I mean, that's how it's always described, right? I would have to go back and search specifically, but I'm pretty sure... I don't remember it being described like that in that much detail before this. Well, we'll have to uh, consult the notes. Later. We'll get to it. Yeah. We'll we'll argue about it off air. So, uh, the hunt, chapter six, the hunt begins. God, we're almost free. Uh... Perrin is awoken in the morning by Lan with news that Rand left in the night. He took a horse and some supplies. Uh, as Perrin goes to take stock of the camp, he passes Masima, who is both continuing the standing and also the Jesus comparisons. I think Masima is going crazy, Perrin said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Perrin goes to talk to Moraine in the hut, where Lan, Min, and Loyal are also there. Uh, Perrin goes hard on Moraine here. Like, he is pretty aggressive. After he reads Rand's note saying that he has to go and do whatever Destiny wants from him. Moraine in, in, in Rand's note, he says, he is hunting me again, and this time one of us has to die, I think. But I thought Shaitan was dead. Yeah, it's... no, it, it's all bad. I mean, it's good, but it's it's also very bad. Rand is kind of weird in this book. Just a little. Hmm. So, yeah. Uh, Moraine bites back at Perrin, talking about how she won't let the Forsaken have Rand if she can stop it, which, hey, I've heard that before from you. 
since the Forsaken are already being freed, which this is good to like have made totally explicit, is that the seal that holds the Dark One is not the seal that holds the Forsaken. Oh, that, I didn't even quite get that. Well, it's like... I thought the lore was that they're sort of buried on top of each other. Yes, but her point is that, like, the seals don't have to break to let the Forsaken free. Like, the fact that any of them are weakening or that, like, any level of it has broken means that they're free. Because what she's saying is that it was, like, two separate events. Like, they sealed the Dark One, and then afterwards they sealed the Forsaken in on top of it. So, like, any level of the Dark One's prison being weak-slash-broken means that we've already gotten through all of the Forsaken. There's 13 of them. Yeah. Oh my god, there's 13 of them. Well, not anymore. Yeah. I think we're down to, what, like, 11? 11, yeah. They sort of go down like chumps. Yeah, well, some of them... No one's ever really gone. I don't know if you've seen... That's another time lock. Okay, so Perrin reveals that he's been dreaming about a sword, and Moraine's like, a sword, huh? Swords aren't your character signifier. (laughs) Oh, also, Perrin says that a journey by Portal Stone had convinced him his life was bound to Rand's, which is interesting, because in that chapter we didn't really get any hints about Perrin's visions no I think he just looked shook yeah but this sounds like it was important well in the same way because remember Matt um, yeah first off please remind me about that as a plot point uh, at the end of the series because I'm going to make a whole lot of references to a bunch of stuff that happens and go hard on a theory that I have Um, but also Matt's visions were apparently connected to Rand enough that the first thing that he did was go and beg Rand for forgiveness. So I'm not surprised that Perrin is having the same ones. Mm -hmm. Give us some details, Robert Jordan. You're so scant on the details. Yeah. God, I like the number of times that I have referenced the 200 years of backstory comment outside of recording is I think beyond starting to get annoyed, but it's like so consistently relevant that it's almost concerning. So Moraine informs them that they are talking about the colander, that it's calendar. I'm not going to make that joke again. Although I will show B on that meme. Maybe they'll like it. It's the sword that is not a sword, the sword that cannot be touched. It hangs in the heart of the stone in Tyr. And the stone of Tyr will not fall until the dragon reborn holds Kalandor. But how can he hold Kalandor if the stone hasn't fallen? And also the people of the dragon will be there. Yeah, I didn't really understand, even in my first reading, how this is viewed as such an intense paradox. It sort of seems like they think the only way the dragon could get into the Stone of Tear would be, like, military conquest. Well, I think the thing that they say is that, like, nobody goes in the heart except for the people in charge of Tear. That, like, there are no ifs, ands, or buts. So, I don't know. I mean, it pro- it's probably one of those things that, like, makes sense to them in-universe, but us outside of it are, like... 
just walk in though. Yeah. It just seems, instead of being a paradox, it just seems to point to a non-total war solution. Yeah. Which no one can imagine, I guess. Apparently. And... And then when Moraine dumps all this on them, Perrin says, there's always something new from you. Can't you tell us what to expect once in a while instead of explaining after it happens? Uh Uh-huh. Which is a lot. Yeah, and Uno's like, boy, sure would be great to not be in this room, huh? Yeah, Uno's like that, uh, looking around uncomfortable. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The the weird monkey puppet thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and... Loyal is, like, terrified that yeah. Perrin is antagonizing an Aes Sedai. Yeah, Loyal's like, I wonder if I kill myself if this conversation <laughs> will end. Uh, but Perrin has a point, though. He does, absolutely. And just as a little side note, I know that this doesn't matter to you, because you already know. Um, but during this conversation about the Forsaken, uh, Moraine hard confirms that Elan the guy from the prologue that was talking with Luce there in Telamon has become Ishamael, the Forsaken. Which is good. Finally, three books later. Uh, huh. Again, I know that that doesn't, like, actually matter. It's just cool to go back and be like... Like, now that... In the future, once you read about Ishamael, to go back and be like, okay, yeah, that all is exactly what Ishamael would be doing against Luce there in, in that moment. Good to know. Yeah, so Moraine starts making arrangements for them to leave, uh, with the group splitting a few different ways. Uno is going to take the Shinarans back home when they're rested and ready to travel. Min is going to the tower to bring Suan a message. Lan, Moraine, Perrin, and Loyal are going to Tyr to try and head off Rand. Because that's clearly where he's going, because everybody's having dreams about the sword. So they disperse from the hut, and Min tells Perrin of some new viewings she's had about him, and to avoid the most beautiful woman in the world. She says, An Aiel man in a cage, a tinker with a sword, a falcon and hawk, both female, perched on your shoulders. Hmm. Yeah, it's almost like we should be reading Min's statements very closely. Yeah. Min... Something, something, Min has already read the series and she's trying not to spoil things. (laughs) Not doing a very good job. No. Uh, So, great, that chapter's over. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, but Perrin having... Min telling Perrin to avoid the most beautiful woman he's ever seen makes Perrin think that they're the romantic leads of this story. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Which is fun, I guess. Yeah. And she's like, she says something about you men could never imagine that a woman could want to talk to you unless she's attracted to you. Fun. Yeah. Great. But also she says that she loves him like a brother, which for some reason I buy even less than her being romantically in love with Rand. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Um... I don't get it. Why are these characters so invested in each other and then not show it at all? I'm going to read it now because I just, I found it while you were talking. Why, Perrin, you must know that I love you. She stood there, watching his mouth work, then spoke slowly and carefully. Like a brother, you great wooden-headed lummox, the arrogance Um. of men never ceases to amaze me. You all think everything has to do with you and every woman has to desire you. 
which fair, but harsh but fair. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just reinforces to me how wild uh Robert Jordan's characterization of romance is. Yeah. Well, again, like I don't know. I guess most of it happened off screen, but this should be the last time that that happens. Like, what's chemistry? (laughs) Is this chemistry? Okay, so chapter seven, A Way Out of the Mountains. The first part of this chapter is just talking about travel. Sure hope you like that. (sighs) They're finding the way out of the mountains. Don't know if you've heard. So... We get an anecdote in here about catching fish and how Moraine is good at it? Yeah, I don't know what this accomplishes. I I mean, she's definitely just, like, channeling water to I mean, put yeah, the fish it, into her hand. I assumed it was magic, but, but I guess like, it's just showing that Moraine is tired of Perrin's bull and has just decided to troll him. His young bull? <laughs> Listen, I didn't come up with the name. Don't don't ask me. I just make the jokes. So when they're camping, Moraine says to Lan, if you cannot move any faster than this, perhaps I should send you off to Morel before you get any older. Which harsh and not fair. No. Harsh but not fair. No, she's very mean. (laughs) That's like some bad stuff. Yeah. It's a bad take. It's like, maybe I should just kill myself if we don't go any faster. (laughs) Maybe I'll just kill myself. How would that make you feel? Then would you go faster, Lan? (laughs) What a great partner. Yeah. This 20-year partnership. You can really tell that they love each other. (laughs) Um, God. Okay, so here is where... Perrin talks about how Moraine makes, like, she'll make a small suggestion, and you have to follow it because she's right, and then she keeps making suggestions, and you just kind of don't stop following them. Yeah. Uh, It's in this chapter. Because then you'd be unreasonable. Yeah. And then eventually, yeah, you're just in the habit. And then eventually they find their way out of the mountains, and they're at the first village, which... Is going to be the first time that Perrin's story is interesting in this book, which is why we're reserving it for our full cast of podcasters. Wow. It almost... Yeah, I'm hyped to have Biona on here. And I'm actually really glad that they weren't here for this one, because, like... I didn't think that this one was that bad when I was reading it it's or so when I was bad. taking notes. But now that I have talked about it and I see how long we've been recording for... It's really bad. Yeah. This is going to be one of our shortest episodes. Yeah. And it was like a hundred pages of reading. Yeah. So. Nothing happened. If I wasn't invested in really reading this series, this would have almost been a deal breaker. So you're saying that if this was your first book. <laughs> yeah, it would have absolutely been a deal breaker. Mm, yeah, that was 90 pages of reading. Which really sucks and uh yeah so we made it and we're not going to have a months-long gap in our podcast feed no no we uh bion should be capable of at least something resembling speech by the next time that we record and uh so we'll be back to our full strength 
so the next section is going to be chapters 8 through 18, which I think ends... Yeah, so what that means is that we will end right before Matt wakes up. Spoilers. Spoilers. Matt's asleep. <laughs> He's taking a, the big nap in the sky. Oh, God. <laughs> He's up there with, uh, what's her name, that Tigger that died that doesn't matter. Oh, my God. Am I wrong, though? He's not wrong. He's not You're not wrong. You're just rude. <laughs> Harsh. But fair. Uh, yeah, okay, so... I think that's going to be the tagline of this episode. Tyler and Jesse are harsh but fair. Yeah. Uh, unlike Moraine at that one <laughs> section. Uh, okay, Jesse, where can people find us? They can find us at our Twitter, at Wheel Reading, which I'll have a link in the description of the episode. And if you leave a review for us on iTunes or any of your other podcast services, we love seeing it. It helps people find us. Tell us, tell any of your friends that are reading the series for the first time that there are some people reading along for the first time as well. And that and they shouldn't start with this book. That they shouldn't start with this book. Yeah, they'll that's give you uh, all the backstory, but the beginning is really bad. That's the real trick. Yeah. Yeah, the real trick for reading this series, at, as somebody reading it for the second time from the beginning, is to start with the first book and then read them in order <laughs> and not to skip around. Wow. Yeah, pro tip. I mean, I was looking at the Witcher books. I have no idea what order you're supposed to read those books in. So uh, Just Google it. I know, but like, I'm just saying, thanks, Robert Jordan, for just having books 1 through 14. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. We're done. We're out. This has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. With only two wheels, and I'm yeah. Jesse. This has been... God, the last time I tried to make a comment about a two-wheeled vehicle, you were like, that thing has three wheels. <laughs> One wheel? I don't know. Listen, we're gone. Bye. Thanks, everyone.